You say, preacher, not in the Walmart. I don't know why God showed me the Walmart. I have no earthly idea. But I will say this much. You can't go into Walmart and come right out. My wife said, can't you just run in there and pick? No. You can't because it's not my nature just to say, hey. All right? It's my nature to say, God bless you. How y'all doing? Hope your family's well. How come you just can't speak and go on? It's just not a part of who I am. It's just not a part of who I am. Hallelujah. So let me remind you, let me remind you of something. Jesus is coming soon. Y'all received that like that was in a foreign language. I said, Jesus is coming soon. And we ought to have, a, we ought to have a, a greater desire than we've ever had in our life to be used of God now more than ever before. Can I get one witness in this building? I heard, I heard the word of God in Acts chapter 1 and 8. It says, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in ah, Y'all getting it? In other words, if I broke that down, Jesus would say you're going to start being effective in your immediate area. Then it's going to branch out into the county. It's going to spread to the state. And ultimately, it's going to encompass the country and the entire globe. How many ready to be that witness for Jesus? Come on, y'all. Give me a minute to transition mics here. As you're standing, I want to read a passage of scripture found in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, verses 26 through 31. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. Bear in mind our Bible study Wednesday evening, 7 o'clock. The book of Amos, the prophecy of Amos. You don't want to miss it. Be here, bring a friend. Next Sunday's Youth Sunday. Amen. Some of my family, Brother Andrew Hunt, is going to be ministering here. That's my cousin Tracy's son. And we're just expecting God to anoint him powerfully. Pray for all these expectant mothers. Sister Haley, Sister Lindsay. Some of these girls have already given birth to those prized possessions, those beautiful babies. Amen. And some are, some are still yet to embrace that moment in time. But pray for them. Pray for their husbands. Pray for their families. Amen. Are you there? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put the shame to wise and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, 
who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That as it is written, he who glorifies, let him glory in the Lord. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the comforter, the presence of the Holy Spirit who is present among us even now. Father, we charge the comforter today to arrest the hearts of all who are lost in this building. Through conviction, bring them to repentance. They may receive the glorious gift of salvation. Thank you for the ones you have redeemed. But I praise you in advance for those who are coming into the family of God. We give you praise right now for what you're going to do in and through the remainder of this service. In Jesus' name, God's church said amen. Amen and amen. I would like to use a thought. If you're feeling disqualified, God can still use you. If you're feeling disqualified, God can still use you. This is a special day for me, 34 years ago, 34 exact years ago, on this date, I stood publicly for the first time to ever proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, 34 years ago. Somebody said, you remember where you came from? Absolutely, Matthew chapter 6. Don't lay up for yourself treasures in this life that can be destroyed, but lay up your treasures in heaven where moths don't corrupt and thieves don't break through to steal. For Matthew said, for where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. Amen. So thank God that he has blessed us with the wonderful gift of ministry 34 years, serving at this church for 20 years in pastoral ministry. Do you believe today that God has called every one of us or created every one of us for him and for his glory. Anybody ever ask themselves why were you ever born? Come on now, that's not a trick question. Anybody ever ask yourself, God, why was I ever born? Well, here's your answer. You were born for him and for his glory. Today's text reveals that truth, that whatever we do, it should glorify the Lord. That itself should serve as our chief calling in life. Nothing should be greater than what God has called us for in this life. For him and for his glory. People the world over would say today that I've done so many terrible things that I'm not fit to be used for God and for his glory. But I want to highlight in the scriptures today some lesser known individuals whom God nonetheless used for his glory. Now we're all familiar with the run of the mill, if I might use that phrase. We're all familiar with the more popular influential 
people in the Bible, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, you know, Saul, Paul, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, we're all familiar with those people because they stand out in the forefront of the scriptures. But what about those lesser knowns? I, I, I just want to help somebody here today to understand something that's really important. Whether we're singing a solo on a Sunday morning or that God has called us in this life to hoist the Vince Lombardi trophy after the Super Bowl. That's a big thing, right? That's a big thing. We are to glorify God in whatever we do. Well, what does is, what is to glorify mean? To glorify means to make glorious by bestowing honor, praise, and worship. You know who got this? Great saints of the Bible. They got this. They knew how to glorify God by bestowing upon him honor through praise and through worship. Who wrote the collection, the, the, the largest collection of Psalms in the Bible? David. Do you know that songs are spiritual hymns? They're sang to the tune of a song and that David is the largest contributor. So would it be safe to say that David got it? He knew why he was born and that was for God and for his glory. I want to help us understand today that God's even concerned about the lesser knowns. See, the great saints of the Bible, they tapped into this. And they glorified God when they were herding sheep. Hello? They glorified God when they were shipwrecked. Y'all gonna get this in a minute. They glorified God even when they were sitting in jail. Didn't Paul write the prison epistles while he was in jail? There were times he was on house arrest, but there were other times the man was in prison. And he wrote some outstanding books of the Bible. That's why I can declare to you today that even when you're feeling disqualified, God can still use you. Oh, hallelujah. Now, let me ask this question. Who wants to be used by God? Hallelujah. Every hand in the building ought to when I want to be used by God. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter number 4 and verses 17 and 18 today in the word of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 4. 17 and 18. This is Paul again writing. Somebody said, boy, that must have been a troubled church. He wrote two letters to him. Paul says in this passage of Scripture, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Get this, somebody. For while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary. Somebody say temporary. Look at your neighbor and say, baby, what you're going through is temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Thank God for that passage of Scripture because it's those temporary things that help us appreciate eternal things. Can you hear me? 
It's those temporary things that help us appreciate those eternal things. You're like, Pastor, I don't even know what the measuring stick of that is. In the light of eternity, I have no earthly idea how long that is. As a small boy, I asked my daddy, I said, Daddy, when the Bible talks about eternity, how long is it? He said, Son, that's as long as God himself shall live. And how many know God's always lived? And that God will never die. Oh my, am I talking to the right crowd? Praise the Lord. God has always lived and God will never die. Temporary things help us appreciate eternal things. We understand from the context of that scripture that Paul's love for Jesus Christ drove him to do great things. And the greatest thing that Paul ever did was change. That's the greatest thing Paul ever did is that he changed. You see, true change starts inwardly. Where does change originate, Pastor? It originates in our souls, and then it works its way out. Hallelujah. That's what change does. It starts inwardly, in the core of our being, in the soul of us as individuals. And Brother Jerry, through the process of time, then it works its way out. And people won't have to ask if we're saved. They'll know that we've been to Calvary. They'll know that we've had a born-again experience with Jesus. They'll know, like Paul, that we've had an encounter with God, and there's something turned over in our soul, and we're not the same person we used to be. Brother Tommy wouldn't even have to told me he got saved this moment. He stood up and worshiped. I knew something was different. Can I get an amen? Am I too loud? How is this? Am I scaring anybody? Am I okay? I think, I think Brother Eric did like the Rondo cooker. He just said it and forget it. But it's okay. I want to make sure I'm not too loud. But the minute that brother stood up in, stood up in worship, I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's, that's not the norm for Brother Tommy. And then after a while, I heard some words come out of his mouth that I never had. Praise the Lord! You don't say things like that lest there have been a change. You don't embrace things like that lest you've gone through a transition. Can I get an amen, somebody? And it starts on the inside, on the inward part of man, to the core of his being, which is his soul, amen, to God, and it flows outside. And people are able to connect and realize there have been a change. There have been a change. How many of you ever asked yourself this question, am I fit to be used? Am I fit to be used? Fit means of a suitable quality, a standard, or a type to meet the required purpose. There have been times the devil has told every one of us, ain't no way we can be a benefit to the kingdom of God because we are not fit. We didn't come from the right pedigree. Our families weren't important people. Amen. You ever heard that phrase? It ain't what you know it's. I love it when y'all finish my sentences. 
It's not what you know, it's who you know. That lets us know that socially our world embraced these types of things. And mindsets, well, you, you know, you're not of this specific class. You're not of a suitable quality and or a standard. You're not of a particular type. You don't meet the required purpose. But I suspect that deep inside of every person's heart in this room today that there is a desire that God might use me. God just might, you, listen, I'm this type of person. I'm not jealous. I'm not, I'm not, look, when I see people come to God in salvation, now don't, don't misinterpret what I'm about to say. Amen, I said I feel like, when I see people come to God in salvation, I feel like I get saved all over again. So brother, buddy, once in a while when I don't see a conversion experience, when I don't see somebody come to Jesus, there develops a longing in my heart and I begin to tell God in prayer, Lord, I'd sure love to see somebody saved today. You ever feel like that? Whenever we lose the burden of that, we ought to lock the doors and go home because the Bible said he that winneth souls is wise. And we ought to always have a passion about winning souls. Oh my God, when we, have, when we have this deep craving or desire that quite possibly God might use us, isn't that thrilling? Is there anything like it in the world? One of those commercials said it doesn't get any better than this. I guess they haven't tapped into Jesus. If they tapped into Jesus, they'd sing a new song. I've witnessed in my life men of high achievement tremble in awe as they realize that they were the instrument of God's working. Do you know that it just, it doesn't, it's not just a reserve for preachers? You know that God wants to use more than preachers? Do you know God wants to use more than pastors? He wants to use more than teachers. God wants to use more than evangelists. He just wants to use any willing soul who will make themselves available to advance the kingdom of God. Is there any truth to that? I can promise you that in the advancement of God's kingdom, there are never pink slips. Nobody ever gets laid off. There's always work to be done, Brother Carlos, in advancing the kingdom of God. Man, that really ought to bless our heart. I want to talk today about some lesser knowns in the Bible that we probably never hear too much about. And how that God used them in some unusual ways. Okay? Is that okay? Sister Abby told me this morning, she said, Pastor, I'm barefooted. And I was like, I can see that pretty good. She said, I've, I've you know, I've tore up my shoe. It's okay. I mean, I didn't need an explanation. It's fine. I trust Brother Jason you know, takes good care of her feet. I just thought I'd throw that out there, guys. And I said to her, you're going to be blessed. I'm going to use your name today in the message. So I want to talk about Abigail, the wife of Nabal. Abigail, the wife of Nabal. Somebody said, I, I don't I don't know if I've ever heard mama got her name from the Bible. What a blessing. Oh, man, you might, Jace, put your arm around her, Jace. You might need to hold her down when I say this. Put your arm around her, hold her, hold her down. 
First of all, the Bible says that her husband, Nabal, was from an area called Maon. It was in the wilderness of Paran in the Sinai Peninsula. And let me tell you about this guy. He was wealthy. He was loaded. You're not holding her down, Jay. I'm telling you, you're going to need to hold her down. Because here's what the Bible said about Abigail. The Bible said she was beautiful and intelligent. Would you strap her down right quick? I know that's kind of... She receives that, I could just tell. She, she received that without hesitation. The word of the Lord said, she never says anything, but she responded to that, okay. The Bible says that she was beautiful and that she was intelligent. Her story is found in the Bible in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter number 25. And just to bring everybody up to speed for the, for the sake of time, let me just, um, let me just rebirth this story um, in reference to Abigail, Nabal, and David. David's on the run from Saul, and he's doing everything he can, Sister Mert, just to stay a step ahead of Saul. See, David was an intelligent man, too. He was wise. He knew, even though opportunity, Sister Leanne, had presented itself for him to kill Saul, who sought to kill him, he knew he was even justified. But what did David say? I won't touch the Lord's anointed. Well, a lot of people could benefit from that today, couldn't they? David cut a piece of the man's garment off in a cave and said, look, we were in there together and I could have slit your throat, but you're God's anointing and I let you slide. But the joy, he's on the run from Saul, trying to stay a step ahead of him, and he runs into this dude called Nabal. And he makes a request. He says, I want you to provide uh, some things that's going to sustain me and my men. And you know what Nabal said? Who? Nabal, in essence, would have said, who does David think he is? Evidently, he didn't know that David was God's anointed. You ever responded to rejection in the wrong way? I said, have you ever responded to rejection in the wrong way? Listen, David didn't physically go. He sent messages, Brother Anthony. But when, Listen, I want you to read this in your leisure. In the Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 25, I want you to read this and see if this is, is an aligning with the Bible, the truth, the word of God. When this happens, word gets back to David, what's his attitude? When this word gets back to David, that Nabal says, who? Who wants, who wants provisions? Who does he think he is? When that word gets back to David, guess what he does? He straps on his sword and he gathers 400 of his men. And guess what? It's about to go down. This is Bible. Read it for yourself. Brother Butler, it's about to go down. David doesn't respond to that rejection too well. Here he is, sparing who, who he has said was God's anointed, and he runs up with this wealth. It wouldn't have hurt this guy to give provision to David and his men, but in, instead this guy cops an attitude and says, I don't know who he thinks he is, but he's getting nothing from us. Let's get back to David. David gathers 400 of his men. They strap on swords and off they go, and it's on, it's going down. Do you know the command that David gives his men? Here's the command. Kill everyone associated with Nabal. 
kill them. But here comes beautiful Abigail. Here comes intelligent Abigail. Hold her down, Jay. She's starting to float a little bit. And what does Abigail do? Huh? What does she do? She goes out to greet David. And when she goes out to greet David, she saved her husband and his whole household while, while preventing David from a rash action. In other words, an impulsive, hasty action. And then she secures uh, an unexpected future for her own self. God can still use you. Pastor, what happened? In your leisure, look at verses 18 through 25. She brought David gifts of wine, grain, prepared meat, cakes of figs, and then pled for her crazy husband's life. Well, that's just paraphrasing, but that's Bible. That's scripture. That's what she did. She pled for her crazy husband's life. What happened, friend? What happened? I'll tell you what happened. Uh, he, he afterwards throws a party, Nabal. He throws a party, and he gets drunk. He gets drunk, celebrating. After the wine wore off, Abigail determined she would tell him how God had preserved his life through her quick thinking. Guys, your wife ever spared you from embarrassment? Can I get an amen? Your wife ever spared you from imminent danger? Preach, pastor. This woman spares her crazy husband from death. David was going to take him out and those associated with him. He brought 400 of his men and said, it's on, it's going down, I'm going to put an end to this. And this woman greets him Offering gifts. Boy, she was smart. She was smart. She was so smart she, woke, she waited until the, till the drunk wore off to tell her husband what happened. She didn't want to tell him while he was drunk. Guess what you'll do when you're drunk? You won't remember it. In this moment now, husbands and wives are very guilty of saying, oh, you remember I told you? No, you was talking to somebody else. You didn't tell me. I didn't tell you we had an No, you evidently had to be talking to someone else. Anybody ever went through that? Well, that brother said, praise the Lord. After the drunk wears off, Abigail tells Nabal what has happened. You know what happened to Nabal? Jay ain't wishing nothing bad on you, bro. But he died. After she told him what happened, his heart got so cold that in about a 10 day span, some theologians say the man pure had a heart attack. When he began to think about what repercussions he could have faced, he had a heart attack and he died. He died. So somebody said, well, how did Abigail then secure an unexpected future for herself? Well, in the process of time, Abigail marries David. David finds out that her husband's dead and he sins for her. You think she delayed? I told you earlier she was smart. She was intelligent. You know what she saw? She saw potential. She saw God was in this man's life and that he would be king. 
She saw these things, and she attached herself to them. Some of y'all said, did they have any babies? I'm going to let you do the research on that. Yep, they had one. His name was Chiliab. It's the only child they had. But she secured an unexpected future for herself because her quick thinking saved the day. So God can still use you. Can I move on? In 2 Samuel chapter 15, if we fast forward a few decades to Absalom's rebellion, we're going to find a person named Ittai the Gittite. I-T-T-A-I, Ittai the Gittite. You got to remember now that decades have passed and David's own son flares up in rebellion against his father. Politicking even in the Bible. Am I right? And what was Absalom going to do? He was going to kill his dad and assume the throne, at least he thought. Can you just picture David surrounded by his family, his counselors, his loyal followers who had fled the palace to escape Absalom's revolt? There they sat, heartbroken, discouraged, their clothes torn as a sign of mourning. And then David addresses this lesser-known individual called Ittai the Gittite. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 15, verses 19 through 22. Then the king said to Ittai the Gittite, Why are you also going with us? Return and remain with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your own place. In fact, listen to this. How are you going to pledge allegiance to somebody? You just came yesterday. David said, in fact, you came only yesterday. Should I make you wander up and down with us today since I go, I know not where, I don't even know where I'm going. So return and take your brethren back. Mercy and truth be with you. Here's what Ittai said. As the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives, surely in whatever place my Lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also your servant will be. Who in the name of heaven can make such a claim? They just came yesterday. Ittai the Gittite did. They didn't have radio. They didn't have TV. They didn't have satellite. But they had word of mouth. You don't think that David's fame was noised abroad? How God had used this man in the process of time? And because of his action, this gentleman shines on in the pages of biblical history. And he also shares a spot on the list of amazing yet underrecognized Old Testament influential people. Whoever knew Ittai the Gittite before today? It's okay. We probably just read right over his name and said, oh, that's Mr. Insignificant. 
He didn't matter. Let's get back to David. Who knew Abigail, the wife of Nabal, before today? Sister Abby said. You would. She was beautiful and intelligent. You would know her. Can I move on? Just got a couple more I want to I I bring to light. How about Shipra and Pua? Who? Probably never heard of these ladies, have you? Anybody ever heard of Shipra and Pua? Boy, wouldn't you love to name your baby after one of them? They're two Hebrew midwives. Get this? Two Hebrew midwives in the land of Egypt during the time of the Exodus. Get this now. You know how God had blessed them Hebrews. Boy, they were having babies left and right. And then the king of Egypt calls these women to himself. And what does he tell them? He said, when them women birth them baby boys, I want you to kill them. If they're little girls, you let them live. But if they're boys, they need to be thrown in the Nile and drowned. Anybody ever heard of Shifra and Pua? Lesser knowns in the Bible. But here's something important about these women. They feared God and not an earthly king. Y'all getting this? Look at Exodus chapter number one. This is the story of these two ladies. You're like, boy, don't you just love it? Don't you just love it that there's not, a, there's not an ongoing dialogue uh, in reference to these people that God just uses them and he moves on? That's what happened to these women. God just used them in this instant, and then he moved on. And you never hear of Shipra and Pua anymore. After Exodus chapter 1, you don't hear of these women. They're not even in the Faith Hall of Fame in the book of Hebrews. Are you fit for God to use? He used these ladies. He can certainly use us. You see, these women feared God and not a fleshly king. They didn't fear Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. You know, not only were these women God-fearing, but they were wise. They completely understood that God's law superseded the law of man. What does that mean? It took priority over man's law. Anybody in Exodus chapter 1? Let's look at 21. I'm sorry, let's look at verse 20 and 21. Therefore God dealt with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. Them Hebrews was having babies left and right. And so it was because the midwives feared God that he provided households for them. You're like, what happened? Didn't they lie to Pharaoh when Pharaoh said, why aren't y'all killing these boys, baby? He said, man, them Hebrew women strong. Amen. Before we could even get in there to help them deliver, boom, there's a baby. Isn't that what they said? Is that Bible? So somebody said, no, God ain't going to use them people. They lied to Pharaoh. No, they didn't lie to Pharaoh. 
They didn't lie to Pharaoh. Them women were strong and they were spitting out babies left and right. They didn't lie to Pharaoh. They just understood that the law of God took precedence or had more authority than the laws of man. They understood that. And here's what I got to give them props for. They refused to kill innocent babies. My God, couldn't our world get some of that today? You even see so-called preachers blessing abortion clinics. Are you serious? Where is our mind? Where is our thought process? I said, well, they may feel in themselves that they are, but I don't understand how they can even call themselves being used of God to kill full-term babies. This is not up for debate, but the moment that the sperm meets the egg, it becomes a living being. This ain't up for debate. This is my sermon. Everybody with me? It's not even a contentious matter. Brother Arbus, I mean, even scientifically, am I correct? That the very moment that the sperm meets the egg, conception, amen, brings life. It's, it, boom, it's born right then. And many years ago, we would argue on the length of a, of, a, of a term of pregnancy. And now we're so bent that we say it's okay for us to kill 40-week full-term babies. Be careful. This is going out on podcast. There's something wrong with the people from the north. I'm just saying. I'm just saying there's some twisted minds. If that's what you want to call it, twisted minds. And the majority of the time those decisions made and legislature being embraced and passed is coming from the north of here. I'm just saying. And if you ever get a chance to visit, you'll understand why I've said it. I'm not telling you that everybody in that region of the world is that way, but the vast majority I'm saying, preacher, you, now preacher, you shouldn't have said, these women were great examples of doing right no matter what the cost. Am I right? They were great examples of doing right no matter what the cost. And right now, if we've ever prayed, we need to pray. More than we ever have before. We don't have to go outside the boundaries of our county. Our county is in a fix. And we need to pray for the elected officials serving in those capacities in this county. Amen or old me. Probably never heard of Shipra and Pua. But two Hebrew midwives God used to preserve Hebrew male babies. Guess who one of those Hebrew male babies was? Moses. We will call him Moses, for his name means drawn out. God is working in the devil's backyard. His own mama nursed him. Hallelujah. What a God. Because God had a plan. Babies are precious gifts from God. And the Lord had preserved Moses for his specific purpose. 
Got to move on. How about Josiah? You mean the child who would be king? Yes, Josiah. The son of Ammon, the grandson of the wicked king Manasseh of Judah. How can anything good come out of something so horrible? Who but God? Nobody but the Lord, am I right? Nobody but God. Well, who was Josiah? He was the child who was appointed king at the ripe age of eight years. I know what you say. Pastor, what does an eight-year-old kid know about ruling the kingdom? I can assure you, not a lot. But influential people around you can guide your decision and be a major part in the choices you make. Am I right? So there's not a doubt that God placed some people strategically around this eight-year-old king. That the Bible tells us somewhere around the age of 18, what does he do, Brother Dees? He says, hey, you tell Hilkiah to go down there and to count the money that came into the treasury of the house of God. And while Hilkiah, the priest, goes down to the house of God, guess what he stumbles over? The word of the Lord. He rediscovers the law of God. This is 10 years after he's placed in the office of king. He's 18 now. And what does it lead to? Many reforms follow. They read the word of God aloud, and what does it do, brother? It convicts the heart of the people. The power of God's presence falls on them. They understand they're wrong, and the wheels start turning. Are you with me? Read this in your leisure. I'm just challenging. Read you. Listen, there's some great stories in the Bible, some lesser-known individuals that God chose to use uh, for his purpose and for his glory. And he uses Josiah. Guess what them crazy people had done? They'd set up pagan images in the house of God. They were worshiping idol gods in the temple of the living God. That's what happened. They're erecting Asherah poles all over the place, on the high places, and even have priests who are serving over those services for these idol gods. And what does Josiah do? He institutes reforms and starts tearing this stuff down. He's 18 years old. He's removing anything pagan from the temple of God and then he's also tearing down the high places, ridding them of any kind of connection to those pagan gods. That takes a lot from an 18-year-old. Am I right, somebody? He cleanses the temple of all those objects. He demolishes the high place. And listen, this is a territory. I'm talking about Judah. He does this from Geba to Beersheba before, he, before he's finished. What does he go in and do? He executes the high priestess of those high places. Was he serious? Was he setting the t- tone for a nation? Absolutely. Absolutely. You're like, Pastor, man, those are some lesser-known people that God used. Well, what do you make out of Josiah? Here's what I make out of Josiah. He serves as proof that even children have enormous potential to live for God and that they have great impact by living committed, obedient lives unto God. Musicians are coming. I'm going to finish my second point, and we're going to go home. Are you fit for God to use? Of course we are. 
Ron Canoli, a renowned worship leader many years ago, sang a song, If You Can Use Anything, Lord, You Can Use Me. Take my hands, take my feet. Huh? Take my heart, take all of me. Speak through me, Jesus, if you can use anything, you can use me. Won't we make that the cry of our heart today? In this sin-cursed society in which we live, won't we, why don't we make that the cry of our own heart? God, if you can use anything, you can use me. It's going to get a little bumpy from here on out, but I'm going to make this point and we're going to move on. The word of the Lord tells us that the Old Testament focused on Israel as God's chosen people. Did God choose Israel? Why did he choose her? Because she was the best? She was the most resourceful? Why did God choose her? She was the least among the nations. Did, did Israel have any other qualities? that would have made God even prejudice in his selection? Not at all. But he took that clean out of the equation when he said, I'm going to choose you because you're the smallest. You are the least among the nations. But here's what I love about God and his interaction with us as a people in the New Testament. Anybody ever read John 15, 16? Anybody ever read John chapter 15 and verse 16? You did not choose me. Are these Jesus' words? This is Jesus. These words are written in red. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Stick your chest out and say, Jesus chose. Jesus chose me. Isn't that powerful, Brother Manny? Jesus, cho Jesus chose me because I'm special. Uh. Jesus chose me because I'm good looking. Uh. Jesus chose me because I'm beautiful and intelligent. Ah. I don't get it. Then why did Jesus choose me? God did not choose me because of anything inherent within me. There was no quality, no gifts that we could possess as a people that would factor in God's decision to choose us. Are you getting this class? Well, pastor, why did God choose me? He chose me out of his love and his mercy. He chose me for his glory. Stand with me all over this building. 
You see, God's choosing highlights God's character. Anybody glad God chose you? Hallelujah. Anybody glad today that God has chosen you? You see, God's choice gives him pleasure. God's choice brings him praise. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1. Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. Chapter number 1. Around verse 3, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Listen, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Verse 5, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. Don't that make you want to shout? Don't it make you want to shout that out of his character, because of his love and his mercy and for his glory, God chose us. Some people take this word predestined and the word predestination and they run wild with it. You know what they say, Brother Robbie? Well, God already knows who's going to be saved. He's already reserved. So why even bother? Friend, that doesn't even wrap around the true meaning of the word predestination. What did God foreknow? What did He predetermine? He predetermined that the gift of salvation would be available and offered to every individual. Can somebody say praise God? That in spite of who we were and all we had done, that still the wonderful gift, Brother Tommy, of salvation would be offered unto us. Regardless of who our family was, regardless of the measure of our past sin, God predetermined that the wonderful gift of salvation would be offered to every human being. Then people like to take the fact that God is sovereign over all things and they love to run with that. Well, God is sovereign. He controls all things. He knows who's going to be saved. He's given us free will, but God still factors into the equation. No, my friend. The reality of the matter is, is that the gift of salvation is available to everyone who will trust and believe. And that God has made that available to us. I've never seen a person God couldn't save. Never. Never seen an individual that the grace of God couldn't reach out. You see what happens when we accept the wonderful gift of salvation that's available to all. The Bible says we become the sons and the daughters of God. Saints, we become the people of God reserved for His purpose. And in God's sovereignty, it's not even up for debate in this matter. Because all who respond to God in faith 
are adopted into the family of God. How many sons and daughters of God have I in this room today? All because we responded. We responded to God in faith and we received the wonderful gift of salvation. We are now the sons and the daughters. We are the people of God. God, can you use me? Yes, God can use you. God can use you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed all over the building. Never forget that you are chosen of God. Never forget that. Obscurity doesn't mean insignificant. You follow me? Just because you have yet to be discovered, just because there is very little known about you, it doesn't mean that you are too small or that you are unimportant. God has used others and saints God will use you. He's used others. He will indeed use you. God of heaven, Lord, I praise you for this day that you've given us. Set aside before the foundations of the world were ever put in place. That we would be together at this moment in time in this worship service. And we thank you today that even when we're feeling disqualified, we've been assured today that you can still use us. God, would you speak to the hearts of your beloved people who are assembled in these walls today and assure them they are still fit for your use and you have great need of them. God, right now, let the power of He, the Holy Spirit, Lord, convict those of sin and wrong. Bring them to repentance through confession and that they might accept the wonderful gift of salvation. We praise you in advance for the wonderful ways you seek to use those of us present today who are your people. Thank you for the salvation of every soul present in this room and for those who are yet to come. We glorify you. Lord, may you receive all praise, honor, and glory from our lives and the purposes for which you have called us and allowed us to exist on this glorious planet. Lord, may we not sit idly by, but Lord, may we be proactive. May we be a voice of reason in this darkened world, telling others of the love of Jesus Christ. Remember those today present in this room who have yet to confess you through repentance. God, would you put a hedge about them like you did Job. Resurrect their conscience like you did the prodigal son. They may understand the glorious life that awaits them after accepting you as their Savior. Go with us as we depart this place, retreating to our own homes and various destinations. Lord, this is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Until we meet again.